Hi, this is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. My guest this week has been on the program way back when. In fact, this was at a time when Big Talk was uh, just about an eight-minute little feature on the daily local news, but now, of course, it is a standalone program. Hurrah! So I decided to ask this person back, because this is an interesting human being. His name is Stephen Westrick. He's the owner of the Bishop Bar. And Stephen, thanks for being on Big Talk. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I like your accentuation, if that's even a word of the P at the end of the Bishop. 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 The first time I ever saw Stephen Westrick was at a coffee house, where else? And I said, there's an actor. Turns out, Stephen Westrick is not an actor. No. Well, why not? You should be. Why did you think I was an actor? Because you're demonstrative. Well, okay. You're expressive. I've heard this. You know everybody on Earth. Well, some. He's not an actor, but he is the proprietor of a Bloomington institution. It's an interesting place because it's a bar, but yet it's not a bar, by and large, for the undergrad set. Why is that? Uh, upon opening in 2009, uh, to some extent that was planned. And by that I mean, you know, I kind of wanted to open a place, A, that I personally wanted to go to because I had never even worked at a bar before. And so, really? No. And so that was kind of the only natural thing to do is just build what I knew, which was something that I, where I wanted to go. And I was only 27. More precisely, I'd spent a lot of time in music venues uh -huh. for my previous career. And so I had learned enough to know that there's no money in music uh -huh. and the bar is what keeps it open. See Shuba's in Chicago, which is sort of an inspiration. I think Shuba's, I'm sure they, you know, I, well, I don't know, I should say I'm sure, but I would imagine their venue is more sort of, I guess, lucrative than ours. But there's a reason that my space, that is the Bishop, has rotated every you know, a couple of years. We're the first people to really have that kind of model where you have this bar income that sort of keeps the place open. Uh -huh. But I'm deviated from the question. So I, I didn't want to open an undergrad place because I didn't want to go to that bar. Yeah. But then, honestly, a lot of what I've learned, uh, I don't know how universal this is, is that was only so planned because for the most part, the bar just kind of became uh, what it became on its own. You really, uh -huh. you know, a friend who owns the Atlas here in town told yeah. me once, he goes, you know, you can only do so much stuff. You can put stuff on the walls and you can decide who works there and what kind of music is played. But once the doors are open, it's right. the public who figures it out. And definitely in a town like this, but by that I mean that we have very little marketing opportunity. There's almost none. Like There's some radio here, but nothing where we would advertise. There's, yeah, some, yeah. there's some print here, but really nothing where we would advertise. Right. So there's some social media, of course. So, yeah, we, that was planned to a degree, but uh, to a larger degree, it just sort of became its own thing. That reminds me. Back mm, when I was younger, kiosks, light poles, oh, yeah. telephone poles, just literally riddled with flyers. Yeah. Just layer upon layer upon right. layer of flyers. You don't see that much anymore because... Well, I think that I think where you're going is that it's less uh, necessary because yes. there are other avenues, right? Like social media. Social media. Um, and in this town, though... I've rarely seen this small amount of local bands in Bloomington. 
and it comes and goes, right? Because people move away from this town, and then as you and I speak, there's some kids in the dorm, you know, forming a new band. And part of that reason, a smaller reason, though, I think is there's just less going on um, in Bloomington. And could it be, I'm just throwing this out there, this is why I love chatting with Stephen Westrick, uh, the proprietor of The Bishop. We could just talk about anything. Yeah. But we are the kings of tangent. I've heard that. Yes. Oh, well, you can't have two kings. Um, you, you know, the Roman Empire certainly had co-emperors. Now, they're not quite kings, but okay. that, that did happen. Close enough. Sure. Or, you know, William and Mary, I was reading about them last night. They were co-regents of England. Wow. See, that's another thing about Stephen Westrick. He's an incredibly well-read individual. A lot of history. A lot of history. Trying to get away from that, actually. What are you reading right now? Uh, in the Court of the Red Czar about uh, Joseph Stalin. Um, uh, the war just ended, and now I think he's going to die. Uh, but not before he kills a few more million. Likely. <laughs> and after that, we're going to go back to Arthur C. Clarke, actually. Oh boy! Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, do you do you alternate between fiction and nonfiction? I do. Yeah, it's a good idea. Well, I wouldn't call this a dry history book at all. The author's great, actually, Montefiore, which is really fun to say. Yeah, um, Montefiore. Montefiore, but uh, highly readable and just you know really recommended. But um, that said, yeah, it is nice to go to get a nice sort of fiction palate cleanser. I think you know you're using different sides of the brain uh, in in a lot of ways. I know a guy who once told me. Read the comics every day. This is back oh, when people yeah. read the newspaper and they would go to the comics. Right. He said, make sure to read the comics every day because, you know, when you're reading the news area, you're you're uh, operating one part of the brain. Right. When you read the comics, you have to operate another part of the brain. Sure, sure. I, I don't know. I don't, you know, I think that, I, I gotta tell you something, I had the right and left brain mixed up until about a year ago. You're a pretty mixed up guy. That's what I heard. Yeah. I, um, I always thought, and I don't even know how factual this is or how much we even understand about the brain. Not you and I, obviously we know everything. Yes. Yeah. Humanity. Um, I mean, I have one right here. Thank you. You yeah. know, I've heard disquieting things about science lately, so um, I try to take it all with a grain of salt. You know, yeah. the jury's still out on science. I, uh, to quote Job Bluth, that's right. <laughs> but we won't go there. Great reference. Sorry, <laughs> well, I'm chuckling. To the listeners at home. Yep. The bishop. Yes. The bishop bar. Yes. It turned out to be what it is. Mm-hmm. It's been in existence. What are we saying? Fourteen years now. Uh, blah, 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 blah. It would be uh, thirteen um, this fall, this September, just about years. six weeks from as of this recording. And immediately uh, preceding your arrival there, the bishop's arrival there, there were any number of other businesses in that place, including Steve Boland's business, uh, where he sold, I believe, video. Yes, or rented, or both. Or rented, or both, or, yeah. and had some other crazy things going on, which yes. is Steve Boland. That's right here. Yeah, so yeah. why have you lasted so long at that corner, mm-hmm. that would be 4th Street and Walnut. Correct. Why have you lasted? Well, I think that a lot of it has to do with... So, yeah, we were preceded by the Cinemat, and then if I, I believe the Cellar Lounge before that, I believe this place called the Ice House or Box, which predates me. And something um, about a beat. Yeah, you know, the, the wild vegetable. beat. The right. wild beat, yeah. yeah. And I think all those places had various models ranging from a video store that kind of occasionally did shows yeah um to and these are 
with the exception of the cinema, these are all before my time, but I think the Wild Beat uh, was something of a restaurant, but I think to answer your question, it kind of goes to some extent to what you and I were talking about earlier, in that we have the bar sort of, or not even enabling the venue to continue. Because, you know, the, we have two rooms, there's a bar and a venue, and even the thing about the venue is it sits empty. Even uh-huh. when we have a show, it's only really making money, you know, for two hours. Right. Whereas the bar, it's, you know, open, you know, more like, more like, I don't even know, like math is great. Um, 12 hours, something like that. That's not even remotely true. Um, uh, uh, nine hours a day, actually. So even on a slow day when people trickle in, that really adds up, you know. Um, so I think that's one answer. I think the other answer is I like to think that we filled, you know, a, a hole that was needed. That is something that catered to the non-student or at least the non-undergrad population, because we certainly have a very healthy contingent of graduate students. ton of graduate yeah. students I see there all the time. It's probably the smartest place in town. That's what we like to think of ourselves. <laughs> we like to think of ourselves. Yes. Call yourselves the Smart Bar, even though there was such a place in That's Chicago. Right. Oh, yeah. The good old Smart Bar. Is it yeah. not there anymore? Because the Metro is. I don't the know Metro's about still bar. there. Yeah. I don't know about the smart bar. Okay. But that's why they invented the internet. That's right. No. That's right. For that reason alone. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, I think that yeah, I think I like to think that we fill um, fill a gap in the sort of scene or did and other people have sort of I think it speaks to that because other bars have since sort of populated that space with us. Yeah. So, you know, thinking of the Atlas, the Orbit, um, and so um, Back doors. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't really go out, honestly, anywhere. But I don't think the back door is really a young crowd, um, at least compared to you know the, the the college bars of this town. So, so I think yeah, we're filling a hole there, and I also think we have this smart uh, format that allows these two almost separate businesses to uh, complement each other. You know, back in about 2019, you made a decision. There had been a, a coming attractions marquee. Uh, on the front of the Bishop Bar, yeah. and you took it down, and you said that it it might have almost hurt your business. Yes. How could that have been? Well, so when we opened, the, the place has changed a lot. When I was 27, we opened the place. I, like I said, I'd never worked at a bar before. Didn't really want to open a bar. Don't necessarily enjoy bars more than the next guy. <laughs> I wanted to open a music venue. Yeah, yeah. And that's what we did. That's what I did. And great. And then just slowly over the years, um, it just became the bar I'm grateful. And, you know, not a total chance. It was some hard work. The bar kind of grew up and became its own business. Yeah. Um, and turned into, you know, it's gradual, of course, but there was definitely, we were approaching our 10th anniversary at that time, yeah. 2019. And it occurred to me, this is a small town and wherever I go or, you know, and you meet somebody at a, wherever, a date or in line at a coffee shop. And, oh, what do you do? I go, oh, I, I own this place called The Bishop. And I would hear this all the time. I would hear, oh, I went to a show there 18 months ago. Right. And then I thought, well, Okay, thanks for doing that. And I would walk away and say, you know, we're actually open seven days a week. We were open yesterday. Right. And I would, gosh, wouldn't it be cool if these folks came more regularly? Because we have these, you know, our bar crowd that really kind of keeps the place open. And, you know, is pretty distinct from the show crowd. And um, basically, I decided, the jury, I don't know, it's still out. I think it's proving this is, uh, I think this is proving to be true. um, That the marquee outside... Might as well have said, there's a cover charge here. Go away. Big money. Right. Because you see that marquee from blocks away. That's the point. Yes. And you just, I don't blame that 
anyone. It's like, oh, of course. You just think that's a venue, like the Bluebird, for example, where you don't really hang out. You go there to see an event. Right. And the Rolling Stones aren't there right now, so why should I go into right. that? And so, oh, I'll, I'll make sure to keep track of that place for when, if and when I want to go every 18 months. And so um, it was basically an effort. The short answer would be to become more of a bar and actually less of a venue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How, how often do you have live acts now in these immediate post-pandemic Yeah, days? so for one, uh, the, the direct answer would be, it varies by month, but the average would be, because we live in a college town, um, I would say we're probably averaging, honestly, no more than probably two a week. Um, That's not bad. Well, it's, it's strange compared to, you know, back in the day we would have, the big months, if you will, April, May, October, September. We have a show every single day. Ooh, yeah, um, two sometimes. And we probably have more like, you know, 200 a year, something like that. And some of that is certainly the pandemic. Yeah. Um, some of that is um, more venues opening in town. Because when we opened there, we had, you know, two fewer competitors, I guess, than we have now. Uh, doing shows that sometimes we would have done had they not been open. And then three, I refer earlier to that, you know, the uh, uh, the lower uh, ebb of the, uh, the the local scene here. There's, there's less going on, um, relatively. Fourth, maybe, I might say that Indianapolis finally kind of got its act together. Uh-huh. Um, they're just... You know, when we opened in 09, one of the reasons it worked was because, I mean, bands weren't really going to Indianapolis, and we could woo them down here easily. And now that Indianapolis has also got some more uh, um, activity going on, they're, so they're also taking bands that we otherwise would have gotten. Uh-huh. And uh, that also, again, sort of that probably contributed to me uh, making that decision to become more of a bar. Um, but I'm kind of spitballing there. I don't really, yeah. I assume that the competition that you refer to mm -hmm. is more civilized than it once was in the live music venue. I'm thinking of way back yeah. uh, Chicago, which you and I are both familiar sure. with. There was a comedian who was appearing at, I believe, the Green Mill Lounge, oh, yeah, yeah. and he was lured by a competitor to break his contract there, so the mob yeah, oh no. sliced his throat. His name was Joe E. Brown. He was a comedian oh. and a singer. They sliced his throat to put him out of business. It turns out that he was able to come back from that. They made a movie right. about his life that Frank Sinatra starred in. But So it's not that cutthroat anymore, and literally cutthroat. Yeah, I yeah. had not heard that story. Um, I also didn't know the Green Mill had comics. That's interesting. They had all kinds of acts. Funny. And, and including... Here's another thing about that era of Chicago, back in the 30s, 40s, yeah. 50s. There were uh, any number of just revolving, traveling magicians no, funny. who would go to, to, from bar to bar, yeah, yeah. work the bar, go to the next bar. Right. Magicians. Right. Here's an egg. So, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I guess this is just pretty, you know? I, it's funny that what you know, what social media has done for stand-up comedy, yeah. and really specifically, I think, is YouTube, you know? And I don't really follow comedy, but um, I feel like that, like, you know, the, Jared Thompson, who you know, yes, owner right. of the Comedy Attic, I think will confirm this. Upstairs, as we say. Um, that, you know, YouTube and similar things like that really... Um, contributed to this explosion of stand-up comedy. Just yeah. thinking aloud here, I'm wondering if that had something to do with 
the decline of things like, let's say, miscellaneous entertainment, like magic. Miscellaneous entertainment, which makes me think of when I was a kid. On TV, there were variety shows. The old variety shows where there would be a a, a ventriloquist, a comedian, a a ballet dancer, a pianist, uh, you know, Victor Borga. You know, all those kind of names, right. and that would be the show. And there were any number of those shows: The Hollywood Palace, right. uh, Ed Sullivan. You don't have that on TV anymore. No, and you know what? It's you're making me think immediately the fact that we used to uh, host at the Bishop, yes, the occasional event like that. And then you're making me think that that was solely about the uh, so the individuals who put that on. Um, a couple of names. I don't know if people. Uh, I'm thinking right now, just out loud. Laurie Canada, Jason Grove. These are people that lived in town who now don't. Yeah. Um, and Changing they, the whole uh, yeah. environment. And I'm just thinking of them in particular because you know Jason, and we just use him as an example because these people exist in various you know, scenes across you know the world. But gosh, that guy was just in every band. And yeah. you know what I mean. And then Laurie Canada. A friend and a patron was just, and again, we, we don't have to focus on Lori in particular, but just these sort of people that make these events happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. We don't actually do it. We don't actually do a lot of programming ourselves. You know, we really host other people's things, and so I'm just musing now how important that part is. You know, this is the beauty of this conversation. Mm-hmm. In fact, we were just talking to the illustrious Chris Cooper Smith, and we were all three going back and forth, boom, 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 boom. And one of us said, oh, we should make this a... A podcast. A podcast. Yes. And then another of us said, what are you, nuts? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I also do think there should be a tax. It's too easy to start a podcast. I think I would love it if you had to pay a nominal fee to, let's say... um, uh, How serious are you? Are you ready to pay... To do this stuff. Oh, I wouldn't yeah. pay. I just no, want no, there to no, be no. But that's the podcast. thing that you're saying yes. about this tax. It's absolutely. Yeah. Well, to well, the, um, the thing of it is, is that there's these one, two, three, or four yeah. podcasters who are making scads of money. Right. They have millions of followers yeah. and all the rest. And so everybody else says, oh, all you got to do is have a microphone right, right. And, and a laptop and yeah. boom, you're in. You're Mark Maron's garage. Sure, sure. It, that type of thing. But... There's billions of us out there trying well, to make a podcast. That's the thing, though, is I would have no idea how to come up with content, especially just all regularly. Oh, you would, because look at what we're doing well, right now. We're right. talking about everything on Earth yeah. besides where you came from sure. and how you got here, sure, which sure, is sure. the point of this yeah. program. But maybe not. Maybe it's changing. Maybe this is going to become a podcast. I will be your first listener. Yeah. Subscribe. And maybe my only that's, that's That's also fine. Their special project. From Bloomingpedia, <laughs> I'm going to quote. <laughs> you're looking, you're looking abashed. I know who wrote it, and I know what it's. I for. know who wrote it. Too. I'm guessing yes. who wrote it. Oh, I'm, I'm interested in your guess. Okay. Okay. Oh. But after the so it's not that. that. It's not that uh, simple. Huh? Here's the quote. And by the way, folks, uh, just letting you know. We are on the patio of Hopscotch on the Beeline Trail, and that's what all the surrounding noise is. Uh, We want this verisimilitude. Right. So anyway, let me quote from Bloomingpedia. Stephen Westrick is a tad portly but prominent businessman and leader in Bloomington. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Usually wearing shorts, Westrick formerly resembled a Roman statue. That's accurate. The year 2008 brought a rough breakup. That's true. And many burritos later, yes. a new place for Bloomington music and beer fans right. to spread their wings. Now, I'm thinking mm -hmm. the author of this uh, gem here mm -hmm. is the guy I'm looking at. No. 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 It's, it's, it's Jared Thompson from the Comedy Act. Were you portly? I guess, oh, for sure, yeah. And um, it was... I like that word, though. No, it's, it is, it's same, yeah. It's, it's not an insult, he's portly. No, no, no. It, it was like when you were a kid, they said husky. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Husky. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. No, and that's exactly, so Jared Thompson, owner of the Comedy Attic, actually wrote that. I don't remember what I wrote, but I wrote his as well. Ah. Um, and also, I can recall this, it's funny, um, you were just reading from your notebook. Yeah. I was not, but I know that the actual quote, and this won't make any sense to anyone, but maybe if you know Jared, as uh, I forget how that quote went, but blah, 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 yada, yada, to spread they wings is oh. actually what he wrote. He made a mistake. It, no, he did it intentionally in a way that it really only made sense to him. He's a unique individual. <laughs> he is uh, a unique as individual. As you might know, yes, yes. He is a dyed-in-the-wool Cubs fan. Yes. For which I... I, I mourn for him and his children. Well, he was actually, uh, was it in Cleveland? Yes. He was there. He was there. Yeah, game but he six is, or But he has been there, speaking of Wrigley Field, uh, yeah, yeah. constantly, even now, when they're just absolutely god-awful. Right, right. <laughs> Which I didn't know. I was just in Chicago, and I almost went to a game. Uh, but I balked. Baseball reference. That is a baseball reference. What came first? Mm -hmm. uh, the comedy addict, which was called something else. Was it the yes. funny bone? It was a funny bone for a year yeah. uh, before we opened. So it was there for about a year before about a year. the bishop opened. I think that's accurate. About a year. Yeah. And then uh, it was called the funny bone, which I believe. I don't. I guess this word's a chain. I'm not, I think he got in hot water for that. Well, here's why I hesitate to use the word chain. There are a series of clubs, or were maybe are called the Funny Bone. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that because he's told me this before, but it's been some time that he basically borrowed the name, like with permission. Oh. He, you know, uh, he and he sort of wanted. I think, if memory serves. Sort of the credibility that he thought he needed to book yeah. comics, so they he wanted to be called a place they've heard of before because there was at least one in St. Louis. I think it was a small, yeah, again not really even a chain because they they were really just people who wanted to use the name, which is I guess that's part of being a chain. But anyway, to answer your question, yeah, they were about a year older. You've been in business mm -hmm. as you say for about thirteen yep. years. Must have been a huge risk. Oh, sure. You must have sunk a lot of money into yes. gussying the place yes. up and hiring kind people of. and buying. Well, you know, you painted at least, I would assume. Oh, or, I did, yeah. Or you washed the floors. My, my, so it was incredible. I would, I, the only, I'm actually quite cautious as a person. And uh, it is an incredibly, just notoriously risky business, right? That or a restaurant, you know, or you, it's kind of hard to find. I was. And I, this is the truth. I made a spreadsheet. I was living in Chicago at the time. I said, okay, let's see how feasible this is. I still have that spreadsheet because it is hilariously inadequate. <laughs> there are all kinds of basic expenses I didn't even consider my mathematics. You That's know? what puzzles me when they say, what's your business plan? Right. And I'd like to say, 
How do you know what's going to happen? Right. And you, I guess you can look at models and uh, um, uh, templates, I suppose. Yeah. But uh, I didn't do that. I was 27, but honestly, I was kind of a kid. And a punk kid, yes. Well, yeah, I don't know about that, but a kid. And then I was, I, I, to be honest, I was too sad to care. I was too sad to care. Because I got, of this breakup? Because of this breakup. I was in Chicago. I would assume romantic. Yes. And okay. it was just a it was it was a big one, you know, and it's funny. It was kind of it was kind of my first big one, so it's oh. kind of funny now that it's like, oh, I don't really think about it that much. You know? Yeah. But um, at the time it was the, it was bigger than the atomic bomb totally. on Hiroshima. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, added to that was I didn't really have I was kind of at a, 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 a uh, a terminal phase, I guess. I was in Chicago. I really had no reason to be there. I was had this career I did not enjoy. And so I shouldn't blame it. Not blame it. I shouldn't attribute all this to my ex because it was also just time for something. Yeah. Um, and I can say that because I remember coming back here in 2005 from Los Angeles to look at spaces, even though I hadn't even met this woman yet. So it was definitely in the works. Yeah. I, it's funny. I came back here. I looked at what is now the vids back room. I looked at what is now um, whatever bar is next to, oh gosh, the vid um, brothers. Yeah. Looked in a couple of empty spaces, which are now not empty. So, um, so yeah, incredibly risky venture that I just, I was too young to take it, the risk seriously and too sad to care. Yes. <laughs> and it was also just, I think my dad told me, he's like, hey, it's a good time to fail. And that sounds, I know how that, that sounds back, it's not what he meant. It sounds like a backward, weird thing to say. But it sounds like great advice. He said, you know, basically you have no kids. Go for it. Do it. Yeah. You should, because I asked, you know, advice. He said, no, you, to, you should totally do this. So what if you're broke? You, you, well, you're broke, you were yeah. broke two months you're ago. Tw- exactly. You're 27. You have a job you don't like. And, you know, you, yeah. Now's the time. So it was really just sort of, um, I was compelled to do it out of uh i just needed something you know in my life you know it's a damn shame that this program only lasts a half hour Mm -hmm. because you and i could go on and on all day long Mm -hmm. and you know just thinking about it i'd love to have you on again just to do this kind of thing to talk about bloomington to talk about the world to talk about stalin yes for gosh sake who you know uh intimately now i do i do (laughs) I do. I, you sign me up. I'll be here anytime you need me. My guest uh, this week has been the proprietor of the bishop. That is a bishop. Thank you. <laughs> that is a music venue and a bar uh, right at 4th Street and Walnut. Yes. And it, it's right across the street from the Waldron Center, which is being revived uh, by the Constellation people. Get on over to the bishop. Say hi to Stephen, and hopefully Stephen will join us again here on Big Talk. Thanks, Steve. I wouldn't miss it. Thank you.